What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I am Ron again. Joining me as always, Chris Nambu. Thank you so much for making this podcast your first listen for NBA coverage. Remember, you're on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a comment, let us know what you guys are thinking. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. You do that and we'll keep producing that content. On today's episode, we're going to be taking a little look at a some players that are underperforming so far this year and, and not not doing what we, we expected a, a heading into this season. We'll we'll open up with a few quick fire points, talk about the in-season tournament semifinals, some fast break points about what's gone on over the past few days. Before we do that, Chris, how you doing, man? I'm pretty good, man. Like we uh, we talked about last time, we're in the midst of the in-season tournament. It's been a fun time, but uh, you know, we're getting in the Christmas spirit, got the tree up, everything's looking good. And uh, excited to get going here. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I don't know what the biggest news is. I guess it's the in-season tournament. Uh, one really good semifinal in the East, which uh, saw the Pacers take down the Bucks, And then one really disappointing semifinal where the Lakers blew out the Pelicans. But uh, just to start on that quickly, again, this the in-season tournament is Tyrese Halliburton's playground. 28 assists and zero turnovers across the quarterfinal and semifinal for him. Came up super clutch again in the semifinal. Like this, this in-season tournament has just worked as a platform for him to really showcase his stardom, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, in the spirit of the fast break, we'll make it quick. And I will go right up for a layup and say that I did not project the Bucks to play poorly against the Pacers. I, I didn't call that. I thought the Bucks got away from what they did. In the first game, that made them really good. And, I mean, the Pacers are going to answer the call. Tyrese Halliburton's going to answer the call. He's playing well with the light shining brightest. And that's all you could hope from your budding superstar, as we can now dub him at this point. And that's what the in-season tournament's all about, man. It's all about these new guys, these new faces, really making a claim in the NBA. And I don't think the Pacers would have the chance to do that without this uh, this stage. So just awesome to see that. Bucks are not going to win two championships this year. We'll see if they even win one. But got to see some more consistency from them on a night-to-night basis, especially against a defense like the Pacers. But, hey, bravo to Indiana. Can't wait to see what happens tonight. Yeah, I'm glad I was confident enough to to, to pick them to take on the Bucks. And even though when they got to a stage, I think it was early third quarter, the Bucks went on a run, and I was just thinking, the Pacers aren't hitting their shots. Surely the Bucks, with Giannis dominating as he was, and the Lillard playing well too, like surely they'll have enough to just close this out. But... It just felt like down the stretch, the, the Pacers just wanted it more. It, just, it genuinely felt as simple as that. The Pacers just wanted that W, that little bit more than than the Bucks, and ultimately got the win. And then we saw it came out afterwards. Bobby Portis apparently calling out his coach in the locker room. So a bit of there's definitely a bit of tension within the Bucks uh, organization at the moment. So it's going to be interesting to see how they how they move forward from here. I want to say that. Uh, it, since uh, we're getting a little stuck in the half court here, not not fast break, but I mean we got to talk about it. Uh, the Bucks, I feel like, got away, especially from again the pick and roll, got away from getting screen actions for Dame and Giannis that got them so many open looks. And most frustratingly is when they get bogged down and Giannis getting in the middle of the floor on a one on one and fading away. And that happened, I feel like, way too many times for my liking. They, they didn't get a lot of good offense there, a lot of one-on-one, you know, Brooke Lopez sometimes taking a matchup. When they get into matchup hunting, it doesn't work. And, you know, another shout-out, two pods in a row now, shout-out Aaron Neesmith for what he did on Giannis, you know, just 
making it a little uncomfortable and for enforcing him to a, a fade away that, you know, I mean, Giannis, it's an open shot, but it's a shot that you want Giannis to take. And, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing that I, I think, you know, some, some games you see Giannis start to get to that. And as a team, as a defense, you get excited when he does that. Cause that's, you can live with that. You can't live with, with Giannis getting downhill, you can't live with Dame getting into space. You can't live with the Bucks, you know, starting to throw the with the ball around to open shooters. And the Bucks didn't do that consistently. And that's that's I would if I'm Bobby Portis, I'm frustrated about that. I'm frustrated about the offensive game plan. But overall, I, I think the Pacers, you know, forced them into that. You play the Pacers, you got to really have the ability to slow the game down. You have the ability to um, get to your spots and get into your offense and not get too excited about playing too fast because I don't think there's a lot of teams that can do it as well as uh, the Pacers can. No, not for sure. Now, now it's just got to, you look at me sort of thinking, okay, so what's, what's he going to do on LeBron James tonight? Definitely a matchup that's uh, going to be interesting to see. Most likely one that we are going to see tonight. Let's make it real quick though on the Lakers side. LeBron just unbelievable, was completely locked in and the Lakers blitzed the Pelicans. Not really too much to say outside of that. Yeah, uh, literal literal snooze fest. Um, like I said, I got the tree up. You know, it, it's like ten o'clock. Those Western Conference games, like the lights are low. I got the Christmas lights going. I'm on the cut. Like I was, I was out by the second half. I was gonna rewatch it. I wake up to a thirty point lead, and I'm like, do I even? Like, I mean, you, you just go back and, and watching uh, some of the possessions there, and I think the the one key takeaway that I think you'll get, you might get into a little bit more here on today's pod is the contrast between Zion and LeBron James and the overall energy that you saw between these two teams. And that's that's not what you want to see from Zion. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. The, the Lakers, I mean, what, once they get their defense going and they really start to pressure the, the perimeter like that and you have AD hounding the paint, that's that's a really tough team to beat when their defense is humming like that. And if they get hot from three, like the Lakers are usually a pretty awful, for the most part, three-point shooting team. If they get hot from three, it's they're they're almost they're as, as, as close to unstoppable as it comes. When LeBron's playing like he is, uh, role guys are hitting their trees, and the, their defense is is the way that it is. They're they're pretty they're pretty unbeatable. That was a an impressive performance, but obviously more more so a disappointing uh, outing from from Zion and the Pelicans. But like you said, we'll get into Zion a little bit later. One one quick one quick thing I got. The Nuggets finally lost at home last night. Mm-hmm. The Rockets did a great job of trying to let the Nuggets get back into the game. I think they don't I feel like they didn't have a field goal in the last like eight minutes of the fourth quarter or something to, like that. Eighteen to zero run they gave up in the fourth quarter. Yeah, like they they went in twenty five up. They they finished what it was it like six or seven they would they won by in the end. The question is now, how long before the Celtics do at home? How long can the Celtics keep going? The last undefeated streak in the league is going with the Celtics at home. How, how long does that last? Yeah, well, we'll see how long the, the loss in the internment uh, play kind of fuels them as they go along here. Um, I, got a, I got a couple fast breaks here. And staying with the Rockets, um, you know, three amazing quarters, enough quarters to beat the Nuggets. And yes, you got to clean up the fourth quarter there. You got to keep the defensive pressure. You got to stay aggressive on offense. I think, you know, this happens to teams. You, you get a comfortable twenty-point lead. If you're playing a bad team, you know, you kind of relax. You start to play a little bit more one-on-one, kind of get away from the team concept. On defense, you slip a little bit. You miss a couple of box outs, and then, but you're playing the defending champs, playing the Denver Nuggets. So 
they they have to clean that up. But three quarters, this is not see, this is what you do to me. I, we're supposed to do fast break, and now you got me talking about the Rockets. If I get to talk about the Rockets here, man, I, I need a minute because they're still top five in defense. That's how they got such a big lead. I mean, they they're struggling offensively, but they are still top five in defensive. This rating. was their first road te- road win of the season. Their first road win of the season came against the team with arguably the best home home form yeah. in the NBA. Yeah, and and they and they've beaten the Kings, another high powered offense, uh, three times. We, we talked about that and just keeping pace with them um are we still buying the rockets given their defensive consistency as a playoff team now that we're into december i mean they've had they've hit a little low they've just gone back above 500 with that win last night i think it's it's hard to rule them out at this stage especially with the way some of the other teams are are still showing inconsistency so yeah they're still they're still in on at the moment it's just see where they're at when the likes of the warriors and the clippers and the Suns really start to to, to find some consistency yeah and saying the West, in the last eleven games, the Clippers are eight and three, and they boast the fifth best net rating. Are you still selling them as a contender? Yes, still selling it. I'm I'm with you, and here's why. Fifth, if anyone's talking about the the fifth net rating, how good they've been on defense, uh, they've been second best in the league in defensive rating over the past 11, 12 games, they've been 17th in offensive rate. And that just can't happen with James Harden. And I will continue to say, like, you still see some good things. You still see the the ball movement evolving, but you also still see the your turn, my turn. You still see the the lack of, of shooting at times to maintain the spacing they need for those guys. And I'm holding. I'm not buying. I'm not selling. I'm, I'm holding. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. But I'll stay home for okay. <laughs> I'll stay home for me and maybe I'll answer my own question after you go. But uh I, I don't know if this is a layup, this is a dunk. This might be a, a contested fast break here. But uh in five games of those Zach Levine, Kobe White is averaging 25 points, 5.8 assists, and five and a half rebounds. At 23 years old, we gotta remember he's very young. Should the Bulls factor in his growth this season when considering Levine? and the trade market, and ultimately move Levine to give Kobe more room to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I think they should move Levine. I don't so that's see, a layup for you. That's a layup. I don't see the, this Bulls team going anywhere, how it's currently made up. They, I think it'd be more fun for the fans, to even just even if they didn't get much of a return in terms of players for Levine. Just see Kobe White go out there, see the likes of the, uh, some of their other young guys just go out there and play, and at least they know that they're not in a position where they're trying to win or anything like that. They're just going there and seeing, seeing how things play out and moving forward from there. Yeah, I will. For me, it's not a layup. It's a little contested because it's L- Levine's market is questionable, right? I'm, I'm not sure where he goes. He's having the worst. You know, it's only 18 games. He's having a bad stretch in this season. Um, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, both sides are starting to move on despite whatever he says business wise. Um, but I, I like what I see from Kobe. Kobe's really grown as a playmaker. He's played as really good defensively as a pest. You know, he's never gonna be elite there, but the playmaking first, like you know, really setting other guys up, really stretching the floor as a shooter, and being a lot more dynamic off the bounce. Like he seems to have gained a lot more strength over the past year, and is able to get all the way to the rim. And he's he's really his career numbers are showing it. I got I to gotta be there with you. I, I think I agree. I love Levine. I love what we've seen from him over the past years. I love how dedicated he's been. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm still there where 
I believe that, you know, the time has come. Um, my, my last fast break, the last thing I got to send to you is something we mentioned before. We got some rumors coming out about, you know, how aggressive the Pacers will be in this trade market. And Siakam has been a name that's been coming up. And if you like to play with the trade machine, you'll very quickly realize that that is a trade that just cannot happen unless, of course, there's a third team, which is tough, or you ultimately include Buddy Heal. Mm-hmm. If you are the Pacers, do you trade the guy that Tyrese Halliburton loves most, the second most aggressive three-point shooter on the league's best three-point shooting team, for a guy like Siakam, and why? I would say yes, because they're more the 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 three point shooting can be covered up a bit more than the defensive frailties that they've got now and the the I think the swing for bringing in a guy like Siakam I think he could fit in very well quickly into the the way the paces are trying to play he'll provide a bit more on the defensive end he'll definitely offer them more rebounding which they desperately need yeah I think I think the pros for having Siakam outweigh the cons of not having Buddy Heald Okay, I disagree. I got to think about this, is how has Siakam looked when Fred Van Vliet was at his best? And how has he looked when Scotty has been in his best? We really have seen Siakam's all-NBA form on the offensive end when the ball is in his hand. He's able to take on mismatches. He's able to get to the rim. He's able to have spacing around him and go to work. And I'm not sure that fits in with the Pacers. I'm not sure that fast-paced, high-octane, move the ball around, hit threes, get into spacing really works when you have a guy like Siakam versus a guy like Obi Toppin, who I thought has worked in perfectly. Like, he spaces the floor well. He rolls hard at the rim, and then he relocates to three. He sets screens, relocates, moves the ball around. I, I'm not sure if, if Siakam fits there, but defensively, that, that's where I do kind of wonder. is like, okay, does do you need a point-of-attack defender like Siakam who – would be able to take on a Tatum, would be able to take on a Brown, would be able to do okay against Giannis. But, I mean, we also just saw them beat both those teams in one game, albeit. We have to consider that. So I'm I'm not fully bought in. Of course, you always want to get more talent, but I loved hearing – I, I got to end here just saying, like, listening to Tyrese Halliburton's interview about uh, Buddy Heald, for example, was really cool. It was cool to to see how much those guys have built together, being in Sacramento, coming here and bringing the paces to where they are right now. Um, and you got to consider those things, you know, when you're, when you're a star guy, like he, if that's his boy, if that's his guy, and that is also a key part of your organization, it's, it's easy when us non NBA regular folk go on to the ESPN trade machine and just like throw guys in like pieces of a puzzle and just expect it to work out. But it, I think it'll be a little more complicated than that, depending on who you're throwing in and that'll be a tough mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I think that's fair. Especially, it's probably easier to say even just in this moment. Over the last few games, I feel like Heald has really been shooting poorly. He's in a bit of a bad stretch on his three-point shooting at the moment as well. So maybe it's an easier time for me to uh, to say yes on that trade as well. Yeah, that's fair. So, who are you disappointed in, Rowan? You're the one who uh, wants to talk about the doom and gloom. We'll talk about who we have been disappointed in. It's no longer too early to say. We're now in December. We have plenty of sample size. We've we've seen enough on the floor. We've seen enough um, in the stat sheet. And I'll let you go first. Well, I got to go for the the obvious one. My guy who I said had the most to prove coming into this season, Zion Williamson. 22.2 points per game, career low. 
5.6 rebounds a game, career low. Career low effective field goal percentage. He's just after playing back-to-back TV games, and all I could see of him was, wow, this guy's just a big lump. That's that's what I was thinking most of the time when I've seen him on, when I'm on the floor. I'm not saying it's time to give up on him, but there's still those rumors that he's not willing to buy in in terms of his health and his diet and getting in better shape. There's still reasons to see that he's not fully committed to being the best basketball player that he can be. And I think that what we see when you see him on TV, you're just like, this guy is a lump. Like he he's not able to get up and down the court. He is not able to be consistently explosive, like we see some other guys who are in the best shape that they can be. And that's where I think the rebounding is really hurting him. I think he he could definitely be someone who's averaging at least eight boards a game. And I just don't think he has the hops. I don't think he has the energy the size that he's currently at to be able to get a position to do that. And obviously too early to, to give up on him. Many have struggled early in their careers and thrive later. Like is it like a Shaq or an Embiid? He's still only 23, but so far this season, especially these this in-season tournament quarterfinal semifinal has really made me look at him and get really disappointed. Yeah. It's um the, the energy from him. You don't love. So I got to say that I'm also disappointed. And I also got to bring up one thing we heard on the broadcast. Uh, Is this not the most casual take in the NBA that Shaq said that in two to three years, Zion had the potential to be the best player in the NBA? Is that there? Yeah. Around there. (laughs) And I got to comment more on the broadcast that like when, when Charles Barkley and I'm not gonna claim to watch every single game, which you can't, it's impossible. Like you can you catch as much as you can, you really try to learn as much as you can about all these teams. But when Charles Barkley and Shaq start talking about some of these teams, they talk about them like this is the first time they've watched them. Like legitimately, it's like, Oh, I've finally seen like this game and like they're and it's like it's so funny. It's so funny. These guys know have forgotten more about basketball than I could ever learn. I'll, I'll say that straight up. But sometimes it's just funny how often these guys are just admitting that they're not watching the games. But I digress. Zion Williamson, I want to see him do more on offense. Just like the like one thing that I want to see is, you know, if he's not scoring, how can they get him involved as a screener? How can they get him involved as a cutter? Because he's just killing their spacing if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And I think the best offense we see from him is point Zion. But when when the action's kind of fizzled out and he's just standing there with the ball in his hands at the three-point line with eight feet of space in front of him, what do you do? Like you got to eat up the space. Someone's got to clear out of the paint. There's there's some things that could be cleaned up there. And I think that also has to do with, you know, um, figuring out lineups, figuring out how they uh, want to flow into their actions in terms of who's on the floor with Zion. They quickly had to figure that out with Jonas and him on the floor when, when that matchup kind of got exposed. But energy-wise, yeah, the defensively, he's never going to be great on that end. But even just screening, like just be a better screener. Like if you're gonna have all that weight on you, like I'm sure you can be a great screener. Like that, that's something that that should be better. But he just never seems to really get the chip on any guy. But disappointment for sure, especially since he's supposed to be best player in the NBA in two to three years. I mean, question he, for you: Like he is supposed to be, he is supposed to be up there right now. Like okay. he's not even the best player on his team right now. Like that's something Fair. that Charles yeah. Barkley said. That's true. Was there ever a point in time? Like remembering back to like Point Zion a couple of years ago, was there ever a point in time where you felt like Zion was going to be a top five player in the NBA? 
not I not mean, pre-draft, that, not pre-draft. That, that year he actually played. That year he had the well, he played sixty-one games, averaged twenty-seven points a game. That year there was definitely the signs there that if he could just become a a, a not terrible defender and continue on this rise in terms of offense, then he could legit be that sort of level player. But then again, at the same time, he hasn't really had that coming-of-age moment either, that moment where he's really stepped up in a big game to get a big win for his team. And that's something we usually see. I know it's such a minor little thing, but it's something we usually see from the best guys in the first like two or three years of their career. Uh, that's that's fair. In year four, hopefully see more. Um I don't know. I, I don't think he's he's reached that that point for me. It's it's still wanting to see more, and, and definitely the point of emphasis is the fact that you know Brandon Ingram right now is the guy on his team. But we'll see how. I, I think a better marker for him as a player is I want to see how he fits into that packing order. He fits into that in terms of who do they want to be as a winning team, and who does Zion have to be in order for them to achieve that? And is he okay with that? Like we can't always rely on point Zion for them to be the best. Can he do other things? Can he be a weak side rim protector? Like, I mean, he, he's got like such potential. I, I thought when he was coming to the NBA, that would be a big part of his his game defensively that would, you know, allow him to be not too much of a liability there, but hasn't really come to fruition. Um, I'll throw out my first player. Jaron Jackson Jr. And I'll put a caveat to this because the Grizzlies the, the Grizzlies suck. Like Memphis is bad. They don't have enough players that are healthy to play real NBA basketball. So is it fair? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on how you view Jared Jackson Jr. though, because I think going into the season, I think I had a bit of an expectation, maybe not an expectation, but a hope that Jan Jackson Jr. had a little bit more in the tank to develop as a player. I thought that, you know, he's already shown the defensive player of the year, averaging three blocks a year last year. He's already shown that he can be a really streaky shooter. Maybe he can get more efficient. With more touches, I, I, I thought, I felt I saw flashes of him being a better post player, being a, a better playmaker off the bounce. And that if you took away Jaw from the equation, you took away Tyus from the equation, you took away Dylan Brooks from the equation, that it would have to come from him and, and he would evolve a little bit this season. But he's pretty much been the same guy. Um, his three-point percentage has gone down with more usage sunk to a clear career low 30% shooting shooting 7% below league average in the paint at 52%. That's, that's a major disappointment for me, you know, and at times it, this is why there's an asterisk because like if you're playing another team and it's just Jaron Jackson jr. And a bunch of G league, like you're, you're going to load up on him. Like you're, you're not going to let him score. He's going to have a tougher time. So maybe this changes, but I don't think he's evolved in the way that I thought he had the opportunity to being the guy, um, and disappointment, maybe, depending on what your expectation was. For me, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's actually an interesting one. And even, like, you say, obviously, caveat because Grizzlies suck, but uh, Desmond Bain is someone who's pretty – I'd say I'd say he's thriving what he what he's delivering at the moment. He, he He's still being able to perform as much as the team is struggling. And as much as he's had a few bad nights, he's still in a position where he's able to thrive. The, the fact that they're a bad team – shouldn't change the the individual performances of Jaron Jackson Jr. He should be a guy that's still that bright light, even though there is massive struggle, even though the team is dealing with with a massive injury list at the moment. So I think it, it's fair for you to be disappointed in him. I think hearing that, that match is surprised. I think I definitely agree, especially like, like that point about scoring in the paint. Like that's really, 
that's really bad. That's an area that he needs to dominate for the Grizzlies. And and you think of them at their best, and you think that that's an area that he would be able to will be able to thrive in, especially without feeling the need to not clog up the paint when uh, when usually when like you have Jam Morant there wanting to get to the rim. Without him there, I think that's an area where he should really be thriving. So that's definitely an area I think that that'd be the biggest area where I'd be disappointed in for sure. Yeah. So that's that for me. I think the the disappointment ultimately when you when you really boil it down, um, the point is I I think he is who he is. He's a defensive player of the year potential kind of guy. He's a streaky three point shooter. He's a guy that's very versatile offensively. He can run pick and pop. Can run pick and roll. Sometimes post up, but he's never going to be like a one B type of option guy and that you know that's this is an evaluation year for the Grizzlies and you've seen Desmond Bain step to the plate increases points per game increases assists you know maintain some efficiency I mean it, it's tough again when you got defenses loading up on you and you're taking so many more shots um facing more doubles so I, I think we now know moving forward you know who he is and that's reality reality sometimes a little disappointing yeah, it's always disappointing when you have that hope for a guy and, and it just feels like he's, he's showing you more of the bad side that you, you didn't want him to fall into than, than the good side. But yeah, I think uh, I think that that's a fair one. My my uh, my, my second guy on my list is uh, is a bit of a, a bit controversial here, but I got Jamal Murray. I know he's been injured. He's obviously, he's only played 10 games, but in those 10 games, he's only averaged 17.4 points per game. He's shooting his lowest field goal percentage since he was a rookie. And all we were hearing before, after the unbelievable run he did have in the playoffs, he was absolutely elite. All we were hearing was, this is the best guy in the league to never be an all-star. This guy is a dead cert. He's going to be a be an all-star this year. And obviously the injuries have hurt him, but this start to the season has him already behind at least six guards in the West. I think Booker, SGA, Ant, Fox... Doncic, Curry, they're all ahead of him now. So I think he's not going to be an all-star. And I'm getting more vibes off of him being more of a Jimmy Butler type of guy, whereas the regular season's always going to be iffy. But if he's healthy come playoff time, he's going to be able to deliver. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in terms of what your second best player is Jimmy Butler on Jimmy Butler's level. Hey, sign me yeah. up, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just saying. It, like that's that's a something we that's an area we just got to realize that that Jamal Murray is not not a regular season player. He's not a guy. He's going to have a lot of all stars. But if he's healthy, come playoff time, he's going to be able to deliver. Yeah, no, no, I I think I think that's fair. And you know, I'm I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him a chance to ramp up a little bit, given the the injury. And given the the limited amount of time to play, and hey, if if that's if that's his title is you know he's a Jimmy offensive Jimmy Butler of the West, then that's fine, and I'm sure he's happy to keep that because dude, look look at name all those players you named. There is zero chance that Jamal Murray is ever going to be voted into an All Star game over those guys. It's and it's not it's not even a knock on him, you know. It's it's. Those guys have established themselves, at least in in voting terms, too. You know, there's there's just levels to this. Um, now that now the playoffs, you know, when it's a seven game series, who cares? Nobody cares about awards. I don't think he'll care about awards. That's that's fine, man. But we're, we're real tough here, right? Like, we're we're disappointed in defensive players of the year and uh, playoff studs, Jimmy yeah, Butler esque players. All right, who who 
Because that's I'll, the way I'll, it's because it's because the, the, the narratives the narratives <laughs> push it as well. But yeah, like exactly. obviously, that's it can sound point. it yeah. can sound a little bit crazy, but it's also true because I think a lot of people thought Murray was going to build on what he did last year, and instead he's kind of gone the other way and and he's kind of fallen back into not not his fault he's got injured, but he, he's just an injury prone kind of guy, and and it's the big thing for him as a player is just being healthy come, come playoff times. You did, we've seen him do it in two different playoff uh, situations where he's really gone off uh, and shown the best form of his career in, in, in the, in the playoffs compared to the regular season. Yeah. I, I don't have a player as my next disappointment here. Um, but I did have two that kind of led me to this and I was thinking, okay, what, why you know, the, the Pistons Cade isn't, stepping up with his shooting the way he should. Defense isn't getting better. Jaden Ivey is not proved enough on the floor, and I, I'm not really seeing it there. Um, but the reason we're not seeing it, and I think this is fair at this point, um, I've defended Monty. Be clear. I've defended Monty. I think he's a great coach. I, we've seen it. We've seen the development there. We've seen what he did with the Suns. We, we saw how um, you know, that there was there was some development with the Pelicans. But maybe maybe – New Orleans Pelicans, Monty Williams is closer to. I mean, there, there's an average that you average his experience there, the Suns, or maybe this is just an entirely new experience because I think everybody, including Monty Williams himself, is disappointed in how the Detroit Pistons overall has developed and what it looks like on the floor, and I, I'm disappointed to see that the young guys have not flourished in the way that I would have expected. Um, based on what we saw, I'll keep saying it, with, with our Cam Johnsons, with our Mikhail Bridges. Um, it seems we have a little bit of a lot more DeAndre Ayton experiences here so far with the Pistons, especially with Jaden Ivey, especially with Jaden Ivey. Um, and even now we're seeing it at times with Asar, like sometimes Asar just getting benched. And it, this is a thing of philosophy where, you know, you don't question us as – lowly podcasters i'm not going to question his coaching decisions but i think there is two different philosophies in terms of letting players play through mistakes and or you know tough love demanding accountability especially with a lot of guys in the roster you you show that hey if you're if you're not making the right rotation you're out if you're making a bad shot you're out but but it, it feels like it's not working right now it's december and that is such a small blip in terms of the eight-year contract that he's been signed to that clearly is the long-term vision for the Pistons is that eight years is, you know, that's a championship window. That's, you know, we got the young guys now. You got eight years. Let's let's build a program that wins a championship. And, you know, the beginnings could be rough, but I feel a little disappointed in how it's felt, the vibes. The, the, the vibes are not, hey, we're, we're learning. Hey, we're, we're figuring out. The vibes are, hey, I don't know what's going on. We just got to work hard. And it's it, it feels hopeless essentially and that's not something that is to be disregarded in this stage of their build yeah i mean they've lost 19 straight games there's no real signs that it's going to end anytime soon um obviously there's a lot to figure out in in detroit there's a lot of young players a lot of players try and fit in but i think he he needs to commit to a to like a even like say commit to like an eight man nine man rotation even for just like a five game spell and just stick with that give them the same minutes the same everything and just see how that goes he needs to make a make a call and run with it and if it doesn't work over a semi extended period of time then look to change I think he's trying to chop and change way too much 
it's a bit all over the place. No one's really looking good, even in the bad situation. The whole Ivy, the way things have gone with him this year ha- haven't been great. There's other, some of the young guys who are just not even getting a look in. Maybe they're, they're, that's justified, but they're on other, what they're going to do this year. Add another guy to that mix. Add another top, probably three, four pick to that mix. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. catastrophic in there. They, they have to make decisions. They have to, start making plans now for the future because maybe there's still that, that star out there for them to get, but you have to think at this stage, they have enough to at least build in, in a direction towards how they want to play and towards being a winning team. And we just haven't seen that at all. Yeah. I think you bring up a really good point because there's, there's stages in a rebuild where um, it's okay to, to have badness and to lead to a, a top, whatever pick. Um, you just take best available, but there's also a certain point where you know you hit a critical mass of young players, and you no longer can really develop them in a seamless way, and that it just doesn't work to have too many young guys trying to figure out who they are in their young careers, trying to build confidence. And I think that's a big thing is is confidence. That's talked about so much by former players, by developmental guys, by by coaches, and not having the confidence in building your game on the floor is a killer early on and you got to wonder how many how many careers could have been different in different situations and you don't want to have that sort of situation with a Jaden Ivey type of guy a guy that you invested a top pick in and if you bring in another guy in the lottery you're not at a stage now where you're really going to have the luxury of just picking someone who fits along Cade or Ivy you just got to pick best available because that's just the best thing to do and you're kind of at square one. You haven't really figured if by the end of the year you haven't really figured out what styles of play work. You haven't really figured out what what is functional for us, what works. Then it's a year of nothing, and it's a year of nothing with a guy who's super talented. Nobody's going to doubt that talent. Cade is a future All Star. He's a future top twenty player. I believe that. And Jaden Ivey is super talented guy. A guy who's improved his shooting. You've seen his form improve. You know that he has the ability as a passer. You know he has a physical ability. And, you know, a guy like Asar Thompson, a guy who is already looking like an elite, elite, all-defensive, first-team kind of guy. And those are three young guys you have on your team. and They need to figure something out eventually, and that's got to come from top down. And the consistency, I agree with that. There just needs to be consistency. There needs to be some level of expectation. They they have to balance out the tough love a bit because you're going to start to – have these guys question who they are and question the shots. And that's no way to grow. And question their coach as well. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, just all around, just, yeah, obviously just really rough for, for Detroit and no signs of getting any better, but let's give Monty that little bit more time to, to slowly yeah. chime. Oh, he's got time. He's no, got he does, time. He definitely he's got, got time. time and that's money. For sure. Yeah. So that is a, that's definitely for sure. All right. Next, next up on my list, uh, another player playing on a very disappointed team, but we were expecting it. Jordan Poole. I was actually surprised to see that he was averaging 17 points per game. I thought it was going to be lower than that. I feel like every time I see him and every time I see his box score, it's always around like 12 or 13. But that's also the lowest points per game since he he broke out as a part of the Warriors team. He's averaging 3.4 assists per game. That's also the lowest since he broke out as part of the Warriors team. He's also averaging career lows since his rookie year in field goal percentage and three-point percentage. This was a guy who was coming to Washington. Yeah, we always knew they were going to suck, but he was meant to be that bright light. He was meant to shine with his own team in Washington. He was meant to be the guy. 
But instead, he's struggling. He's showing more bad things than good. And it's really Kyle Kuzma who's the main the main guy in Washington, and it's not Jordan Poole. And that's that's been disappointing to me. I think we we we're, in this early stage of season, he just looks like a guy who's made to be a role player on a good team and nothing more. Yeah, well, is 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 that the is that our final determination? I, don't, I wouldn't say final, but so far that's role, that's the vibe. I'm I, I'm close to that. Not a lead guy. Not a lead guy. What I what I would say is whenever I think about you know all these highlights you see for, or lowlights I should say for Jordan Poole, um, a lot of it is you know th- those are shots that you get you sprinkle in a handful of those when it, in his time with the Warriors, like he'd have the chance to do some crazy stuff, you know, with the ball in his hands. But also like he had a lot of shots that were built off of the Warrior system that that were that were built off of good offense. He was he was coming off good actions to get clean looks. He was working off of Steph on the floor. He was, you know, even with Steph off the floor, you know, he had a system that kind of mirrored what Steph would get to get him clean looks that he can re- relocate. He has a really smart passer next to him and, and Draymond Green, like those those sorts of things that got him good offense. Uh, you know, because he's he's never been a super super efficient guy though, and that's the thing that I think we needed to remember. Because I mean, he shot what thirty four percent from three season before that, his best season. The thirty-six percent three-point shooter, um, but I think what he does best is attacking defenses and not taking all these ridiculous threes, taking all these ridiculous shots. His best is his handle and his playmaking. And Washington, I think, was the perfect storm for him to. And I said, I, I said this like it was going to go one of two ways. Like either we were just completely wrong, and he just needed more time, and then it would kind of click. All right, and then he would kind of put the puzzle together and be that efficient playmaker and really, really use his his bag to help his teammates out and make the Wizards better, make them functional, or he was going to fit right in with the Wizards' dysfunction and lack of system and and just do this, like th- this. Th- this was the other end of the spectrum because I thought, you know, are these going to be like a 28-point per game, like kind of score, really, really efficient, really like setting guys up, or yeah, th- this is a Jordan Poole experience. And it's too bad, man, because I really like him as a player. I, I really, I really like his game. When he's not, when he wasn't doing this, when he was on the Warriors, and he was, yeah, more of a role guy, and maybe that is what he's more suited towards. And I don't know where he goes from here, man. Like, cause this is this is a bad luck. I don't, I don't know what the Wizards do from here, cause it's a little bit more of a tanking situation. And Kuzma's the guy, and Kuz, yeah. Kuzma should be. Imagine Kuzma like on the Pacers or something, like having more long defensive two way, two way wings who can also score like that. Actually, I just made that up in my head. Kuzma with the Pacers. He's, he's cheaper than Siakam. You could you could definitely trade picks for him. I know the Wizards want that. There you go. I, I fixed the whole Siakam trade scenario because <laughs> there's a better guy to go for because Kuzma, I mean, they'll probably trade him for anything at this point. Yeah, for sure. And uh, final, final point on Pool, I'll just say it's it's the ba- the worst vibes of all is that there's already rumors that the Wizards are going to move on from him. And that's just that's just major mad vibes given the, the situation. Ow. That's that, that's just that, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna say I've I've heard the plan yeah. behind it, but the fact that the, the rumors are there, yeah, is 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 a pretty is a pretty bad sign. All right, who you got next on your list? Is we got a um, team or a coach or just a player this time? Th- this one makes sense, and I'll keep it short. Um, Scoot Henderson, I, and this is just another lesson for you know advising against you know putting too much faith in uh, non NBA minutes. Um, they they mean something, but they don't 
they're not definitive. And what I saw in Summer League, what I saw in uh, the G League was a guy who I thought would be an NBA-ready point guard at a minimum, and he's not NBA-ready. He's just not. Kevin Knox on you? What? No, 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 no. I will not. I will not go there. I will not go there. But, <laughs> but what? Who I will say though is, I'm a little. I'm a little afraid of the the Dennis Smith storyline. Um, but I believe that Scoot is a much better, much better playmaker than those guys. Um, but you know, adjusting to NBA physicality and speed is something that G League should have showed you. So I'm I'm not really sure what to make of it, but. Portland is a place for him to grow patiently and he says all the right things and Chelsea Billups says all the right things and kind of contrast that with Detroit where, you know, Scoot wouldn't see the light of day if he's uh, averaging three to 3.3 turnovers to 4.1 assists that he would not be seeing the floor, but he's getting time. He's getting the ability to play through it. So you hope he gets better, but it's definitely been disappointing for a guy that, you know, at a ridiculous comparison is like a, Derek Rose, a multiplayer, a guy who really is strong and fast enough to get to the hoop, is a very smart playmaker, can set up for others, and he looks ready. Man, in the summer league, like his pull-up jumpers in the summer league, and the way he was like working the pick and roll was like, okay, that's that's too good to not translate, right? And it hasn't at all, at all. So big disappointment there. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, well, well, maybe he just needs to ditch those stupid goggles and then it, then start playing a bit better. <laughs> I whatever. love him. I love him. No one, <laughs> no one else is rocking him. I, I love and him. And then uh, I will say, yeah, it's kind of it's going to be interesting to see as the season goes on. Like, is he is he thriving having to compete with three other guards who are arguably ahead of him, or even just competing with three other guards for for the for for position in the, in the starting lineup? Maybe that's a hindrance. Maybe that's a good thing for him. Learning from the likes of Brogdon. Sharp is obviously still a young guy. Even Simons is still a young guy too. So they're all kind of competing for for position within the team. Is that good? Is that bad? Probably still too early to make a decision. But definitely, Scoot has been underwhelming to start. Even like we knew the Portland Trailblazers were going to struggle. We knew they weren't going to be great. But I think we we all expected a bit more from Scoot so uh, early early in this season. Yeah, I, what I expected at this point in the season is he was scoring like you know fifteen a game five and a half, six assists, not good efficiency, but really showing flashes. You know, you'd have a, you'd have like a 20 and 10 game here and there, like really be like, Oh, Scoot Henderson. All right. It's coming up, but it's, he hasn't even had the flash yet, but yeah. Well, that is a guy to wait on. Cause I think he has such tremendous uh, potential, but um, always hard to tell like who's actually NBA ready. Um, and there's so many factors that go into that, but yeah, Scoot, I'll wait on him, but a little. That's why it's, why it's so tough to be a scout, huh? Uh, next, Unless you're an anonymous guy, <laughs> and then you just get to give quotes posted everywhere. That's easy. Next guy on my list is one guy very dear to my own heart, who's who's disappointed me so far this year. Benedict Matherin, thirteen points per game. That's nearly four less than he averaged in his rookie year. Only three point nine rebounds per game. That's slightly less than last year, but that's an area I think that he needed to improve on. I think it's an area that the Pacers really needed him to improve on. And he hasn't. He's shooting roughly the same field goal percentage on less shots than he took last year. Slight boost in his threes, three-point percentage, I should say. But overall, it's been a struggle this year. He's been moved to the bench after starting the first 12 games of the year. I was really expecting to be a guy who was going to up that efficiency, going to be up there around 46 47% in terms of field goal percentage. 
going to be either side of 20 points per game, a legit score for this Pacers team. And he just really hasn't produced it. And he's probably been the low light of what's been a great start of the year for this Pacers team. What does it take for him to, to fix that? At this point, what, 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 I don't, I don't really know. It's, it's just, because he's such a common player, like he, it never looks like he's hesitating he when he's taking shots way, or anything. It doesn't feel. I don't feel that confident. I don't feel his his presence offensively at times. Yeah, I I agree with that. But at the same time, I I feel like he's it, the big thing I notice is that he never hesitates on a shot when he got when he has a chance to take a shot, he takes a shot. But I would also agree with your point that I feel like he's never really that guy. You never really see him on a heater. You never really see him dominate a defense or anything like that and that's the area where you're like okay how is that going to change obviously we know Halliburton's the guy on this team but especially playing it with the second unit you think Matherin should get more opportunities where it's going to come from I don't know is it just putting the ball in his hands more letting him go to work it, it's it's difficult to see for me where it's going to come from but just no, I know from when he came into the league, flashes we saw last year, I just expected a lot more from him. Yeah, and the, you know, I'd love to see him get to the rim a lot more. Mm-hmm. You'd, love, you'd love to see his athleticism there when he attacks the closeout, when he's attacking scrambling defense, and and that's something that, I mean, even just looking at how um, guys like Nemhard play, guys like um, Neesmith play, you know, they're not elite shooters, but they know how to work in space and they know how to, you know, they know their role. And and it feels like he he's, it's the, the way the offense plays, the, the way the ball is shared, that he'll ultimately this year, like, be a role player, which is fine because, I mean, the Pacers share. There's so much offense to go around. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't feel like he's a guy that you, you give him the ball and then he, then he goes to work. It, it seems like he, he still hasn't added enough you know, to his mid-range game to, you know, or is his pick-and-roll game to really be the kind of guy to – he would slow down the offense at this point. The offense is just so good that, you know, allowing him to just figure some things out on that end, it doesn't seem like that's the the, the opportunity for him. But, yeah, I, I thought, you know, I thought this season, if you were telling me the Pacers were, like, a, a playoff team, uh, I was thinking, like, we'd see Ben Matherin be a – like a 20-point-per-game score. It'd be like him and – dynamic duo kind of thing but i mean somehow you know the, the pacers have they be, it's a tide that raises all boats right like they've all gotten better but ben hasn't taken a leap and that's felt i mean that's a good thing right like if the paces are this good right now and you know ben's not even hit his stride yet because he, he's not even played he's not even played well he's not playing good for his standards like he should be playing a lot better than this like how much better did they get like once his shooting comes around so i, I believe in the shot once his playmaking comes around, I I believe in his ability to get downhill, and he's a can at least make back basic, basic passes in the pick and roll. Like that's to have another playmaker like that, like next year, year after that, like he's he's another way for them to grow. But this season probably won't happen. No, probably not. And I mean, I think three weeks ago we had back to back twenty point games, and I don't think he's had a single other one this year. So it's that sort of area where I thought that he's gone into. After a, sh- a struggle to start the year, I thought he was going to get into more of a flow. Kind of went the other way and he got demoted to the bench. So we'll see what way he grows on it from here. But obviously the, the Pacers probably aren't too worried about it at, at this stage, the yeah. way that the uh, the team is thriving. They can, they can be patient. He can work his way in in, in other ways. And from what I've seen, it seems like he's patient. 
Um, another, another guy, kind of in a similar role. Like Keegan Murray is my guy here. I thought Keegan, we were really going to see a an uptick in his versatility in his offensive attack. I was expecting him going from like a, you know, he's a 12 point per game scorer guy, guy shooting tremendous efficiency, 6.3 shots as a rookie from three, 41%. That's, that's elite. And plus what they asked him to do defensively um, this year, shooting seven. And this is gotta be fluky, but he's shooting 30% from three this year. And that's not even what I'm disappointed in with, with Keegan. And I will put the asterisk here that he has had a bit of a back issue this season. So I think that that's had a big effect on his lift and his willingness to shoot off the bounce. But that's what I wanted to see. You, you saw at times last season um, when it mattered in the playoffs, you can attack a closeout. You can get to a floater. You can get to a mid-range shot. You can run some pick and roll with him. Not a lot, but I mean, he, you you have another playmaker on the floor. It's not just Fox and Monk against the world. Like, Keegan Murray throwing the ball, he's gonna do something with it. And when he did that, it you know it didn't look forced, it didn't look awkward. He was, they were doing it within the flow of the offense. And there were some things in his bag that you know I, I liked. I, I liked his ability to to attack that open space that they were giving the Kings at times, and they just expected him to take threes, and they just expected everyone to kick out and shoot a three or get to the basket. And he had some in between game, but it's been completely non-existent this year, just completely non-existent. So not only is three point percentage down, but the volume inside the arc is just incredibly low and doesn't seem like his his play style has changed much so I don't know if that's more coaching thing you know he's just playing his role or you know lack of development in that area but he's not taking a leap like we had hoped when we talked about the Kings making a jump this year or maintaining their success and where it would come from which is supposed to be Murray. Yeah, I mean obviously these back injuries would be like uh, he's going to be another freaking Michael Porter Jr. over here but uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, like I think I've probably seen the Kings play five games this year, and I feel like I've seen a flash from Keegan in each game, but I've never there's been no real consistency to it. And it's an area that I think we, the Kings are probably thinking we expected a bit more. Like you mentioned, the the bit of injury trouble has hurt him, but it's been a lot of flashes. I think you get it at least one, once or twice a game, you see him do something and you're like, wow, imagine he did this consistently. What a difference that'd make. But it just, it's just not coming. Still, obviously, a young player, but we we talked about him earlier in the season. We had belief in this guy. He is an older guy to be uh, to be a sophomore as well. We expected to see consistent levels of, of him doing more in terms of offense this year, and it just hasn't come. So, yeah. No, nothing crazy because of, I guess the, the injuries, but yeah, definitely disappointing as to what I think a lot of people expected, not just us, but I think a lot of Kings fans too. Yeah, and <laughs> we won't do this, right? We're not going to do the look who was drafted after him kind of thing, right? That's they're not going to do that. Uh, Shaden Sharp looks pretty good. Dyson Daniels, guy. I I thought that the Kings would benefit from a guy like Dyson having a, a defensive guy. Um, even a even a Jeremy Sohan type of guy. Now we see them trying to really get better on defense, not happening. But that that's one thing I will say about Keegan is, dude, they are throwing him to the fire. Like every time they play the Warriors, who's defending him? It's Keegan Murray. I mean, they're putting Keegan Murray on him. They're putting Keegan Murray on SGA. They're putting Keegan Murray on the best player on the other team. And I think that's if if that's his direction is being an elite perimeter defender. They're trying to grow him into that role, get him ready for the playoffs, and he's bombing from three that's still okay 
um, that's still okay. When, when you have Fox and you have Monk, when you have Sabonis, but having a third guy in the perimeter to create is something they need when the shots aren't falling. Because there are times when the threes aren't falling and you're just toggling between Monk and Fox. It just feels like they just need that little bit, that little bit extra. Um, and so far, no Keegan Murray. Yeah, yeah, disappointing. Final guy on my list is the guy that you'll you'll, you'll know about, huh? Patrick Williams. 8.6 points per game. Oh. A career low. Oh. 34% from three. That's low. 43% from the field. That's low. He is turning out to be like the worst part of what is a really bad situation in Chicago. He should be that bright light where you're kind of thinking, okay, we're going to build around him and, and Kobe White and, and break up this team and we're going to rebuild from here. But instead, you're kind of like, why did we ever draft Pat Williams? What, what, is his, what is his role on this team? Why like, why is he doing the things that he does the, this year? And, and here, and this is a guy who wants a $100 million contract and, and this is what he's putting up. Like, that's crazy. Like, he, it's, been, it's been a really awful start. And like I said, he's been the worst part of what is a bad situation in Chicago. Um, no comment. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Projecting projecting player growth is is so hard, and I think Patrick Williams every every player is a, a lesson, and Patrick Williams is a guy that you know provides that lesson where if somebody doesn't have the mentality, you can't really teach mentality, and that was my first kind of like warning sign. Is let, let's erase even the rookie year, but even in a sophomore year. Um, the mentality on the floor didn't change and his mentality hasn't shifted in a meaningful way from year one to now um, year four um, year three sorry and and I, I just want to say that like I'm okay with him being a role player at this point I'm not I'm not even disappointed running because I I think I I needed to see game one through five this season to make my decision. Cause even in the off season, I was like, this is a hail Mary for Patrick Williams to come out of his cocoon and become an all-star level future all-star level kind of player kind of guy. Um, and it didn't happen because there, there's no shift in mentality. Like he, he's not aggressive on the boards. He's not aggressive to attack the rim. He's not aggressive in finding a shot, but you know, he will space the floor. He will attack the board. Sometimes he, he plays great defense. I'm happy with the defense. You know that that's there's that, but that's you, yeah. The fourth pick for a role player is is tough. But hey, hey, James Wiseman, what's he doing, huh? Isaac and Coro. Why, why are you questioning James Wiseman? You know James Wiseman. I I'm I'm just saying, Lonyeko Kongwu, he's not starting either. How's Killian Hayes working out, huh? Obi Toppin not even on the Knicks anymore. Denny Avias, all right. Jalen Smith. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of guys from that draft. A lot of guys are not on the same team or anything like that. So why are we coming for my my boy? So huh? what you're trying to say is that whole draft class sucked, and that's why it's okay for Patrick Williams to suck. Okay, that's cool. Uh, we'll, we'll call it pretty much, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah okay. Clay Thompson. Speaking of the Warriors, let's talk about Clay Thompson. Forget about Pat Williams. Everybody, let's keep talking about Clay. Um, we all know how much he struggled this season, and um, this is not to like pile on, but you know, it's December now, and you check the shooting splits. You just kind of wait for that creep up, and it hasn't come. Uh, he's still shooting 35% overall from three. 
career low in scoring and efficiency. The 27% on open threes is really concerning to me. The 25% in the corner is really concerning to me. And, you know, still taking those pull-up mid-rangers and shooting 44% on that. So all that's a paint a picture that the shooting is still just not coming along. And the defense is still a step slow. He's not at that level anymore. And I'll just ask the question is, can the Warriors still win a championship without Klay Thompson at 80% of himself? Not even peak powers. I wrote peak powers, but, you know, he's not going to be peak power. Can they win championship with him 80%? Right now he's at, like, 20. No? Just straight up? They cannot? Nope. So so heavily reliant on on Steph Curry. Klay, the the drop-off on the defensive side is big. I think that's just that's just natural. The impact that all the injuries he's had is yeah. coming coming in coming to coming home the roost. Just uh, getting getting that little bit older. The shot is is just the the anomaly. Is like what where what like what has happened there? Like that's the one that you're really like just like wow like what what is going on with with uh, with Clay Thompson right now? But yeah, I don't, I don't see the Warriors win without him. And yeah, his 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 start of the year has been definitely been a question mark. He's come out swinging. He's had a couple of kind of bounce back games recently, but on the whole, really disappointing and a big concern for the Warriors. I refuse to believe that. Like, even though I'm disappointed now, I refuse to believe that this is how bad he'll shoot. Like, it's there's just That's no fair. way I have to bet against the disappointment. But I think the the disappointment comes with a ten and twelve start to the season, with Steph Curry still being Steph Curry, and you know you again have this struggle of where at what point do you fully invest in the young guys what and what level do you fully invest in giving looks to the other guys i mean how how much more productive would this season be if if clay is replaced with minutes from pajimski you see what you get there minutes more minutes for kamingo more minutes for moody you know to kind of work them in there as opposed to them kind of just kind of biting at the scraps and Getting Clay going is is ultimately that that's the goal. So I get it. Is you play the long game of getting Clay back into shape, getting Clay back into form, and come playoff time. If if that happens, then you're winning a championship. As opposed to you know the minutes from those other guys that probably doesn't turn into something. But what if you started that last year, and then you do that this year, and then you know player development has to come at the cost of something. But the the disappointment wrapped in the the Warriors' poor start to the season is is tough especially with Steph still being Steph mm-hmm. yeah but at the same time they're kind of just doing what you're supposed to do when you when you get a real big talent you gotta scrape and graph and get every ounce of everything you can get out of them before you before you give up on it because who knows how long it's going to be before you get a guy as good as them again so I think they're 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 it, it's a it'll be a massive decision to really try and like kind of wean off clay that little bit more and give more minutes to to other guys but he definitely needs to show his greatness and really and make sure he he gets better that's just what it comes down to he, he has to get better but uh yeah, that, that's gonna close off our list a couple of guys i will say that i didn't mention that that deserves to be on the list just quick fire uh ben simmons he's back he's back no he's back to having another back injury he played six games all year he averaged six and a half points per game in that time and just 6.7 assists per game and that was, that's that's bad for him because he's meant to be this elite playmaker just yeah, he's just back to being injured again. The usual, usual old Ben Simmons, and then uh, also Josh Giddy. 
as I said, he's probably a little bit distracted with a few other things that are going on in his personal life. But uh, no. averaging a career low in points per game, assists per game, and rebounds per game, and shooting below 42% from the field. He is a struggling, and he is playing his way out of minutes on this OKC team. Yeah, no, no comment about him. But uh, did did you did we already mention that he has more shots than points? I don't know if that changed in the last couple of nights. Uh, he's quickly just not becoming a productive member of this squad, and that's you know half a season for a young player. Not even half yet, but a small portion. Like they're they're gonna wait for him, and they're gonna wait for him to to find himself. But if he doesn't, if he can't find a way to be efficient on the offensive end, like they have they have guys that are are budding here. Like they, Casey Wallace is a guy that will definitely be a part of the team. Isaiah Joe, the defense he's brought in addition to his steady three point shooting. Like those two guys, much better fits right now. And that's not even to talk about Aaron Wiggins, like what he's done attacking the the rim and, and how much how effective he's been. I mean, even even Trey Man, like there there are enough guys, and this is complete contrast to look you, you look at the the Pistons, right? Like all these guys have stayed with OKC and have really been developed and they know their role, they they're confident in it. And you're starting to reap the rewards of that because you got a rotation full of young guys who have physically developed, who have developed their shots, who who know how to to work in the system and you don't need a Josh Giddy if they're going to continue to play like they're playing. You, you don't, you don't, that's, you got to cut the fat at some point and maybe he's someone who ends up going because you, you don't need a playmaker who can't shoot or play good defense. One thing I say about the Thunder is I feel like every night they have a, a new guy that gets minutes on the floor that I have no idea who he is. So that, that that happens with the with the Thunder. They got they got they got like they they must have like a forty man roster. They they're always just get guys coming out of a coming Bro, out of nowhere playing. Don't tell me you team. don't know Trey Man. I know Trey Man. There's, there's there's other guys though. There's there's other guys where I'm just like, who the hell is this guy? You, but, you, know, uh, you know Jalen Williams. You know Kenrich Williams. You know all the Williams. Which which Jalen Williams is that now? Uh, <laughs> Jay, we got Jay Dub and just just Jay is that, that that's the way they kind of distinguish him. I think. On just the, just on wait the till they start uh, bringing Usman Jang out of the uh, G League. Then then it'll really that'll just throw you for a loop. Um, yeah. One yeah. thing I say on the Thunder SGA. Every time I watch him, looks like more and more of a hooper. There's playing the clutches, mid range master like SGA is just a. A joy, a really enjoyable player to watch playing basketball. And last night he came up clutch again, big shots in, in OT as they beat as they beat the Warriors. You need a shot to save your life, SGA or Steph Curry. I can't. I still have to give it to Steph, but SGA or Devin Booker. SGA. SGA or De'Aaron Fox. SGA, hundred percent. SGA or Jason Tatum. SGA. SGA or Tyrese Halliburton? Ooh, my I gotta go with my Halle baby there. Oh, come on, come on. No, no bias. Take the bias away. Take the bias away. Okay, SGA. SGA or Luka Doncic? Luka. Luka will still hit that shot for me. He will. Ah, he, uh, SGA is kind of, I don't know, that, that's tough. That is, that, that's where it gets tough for me. But yeah, man, it, it's, it's normal. This is normal for him. Shea is, Shea is Shea. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Things established himself, and that's why you know when you talked about Murray, how far behind he is, and it's like, dude, these the West is packed with like unbelievable talent at the guard position, and that's you didn't even mention 
Darren Fox didn't even mention John Morant when John Morant's healthy. Like it's yeah. it's insane. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Before we finish up, I gotta I'm gonna quiz you, quiz you a little oh, bit. No. I'm gonna test, Bro. I'm gonna test your brain out before we finish up. This is a pop quiz, just just so we're. It's not we're not not a pop ready. quiz. This is this is a this is just a one question quiz. You got to name ten guys. I'm gonna give you two minutes. I want you to name the top ten guys in three point shots made since 2010. Since 2010. Mm-hmm. Some top 10 guys. LeBron James give... is there. Just no, okay, he's... wait, wait, wait. Before you get into it, I'm going to give you two minutes to do this. The top three guys and three point shots made since 2010. Okay, go. Three point shots made. Steph Curry. Yes, number one, um, 3,492. Um, even despite the injuries, I'm going to say, uh, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald only Hield. just gets in there. He's at number 10, 1,762. What? Okay, that's crazy. Uh, I got to say, since 2010, I'm going to say uh, James Harden. Yes, he's number two, 2,792. Uh, Paul George. Yes, he is number five, 2,078. LeBron James. LeBron James is not on it. He's just really? outside. Just okay. outside. Just, just the fact that he's always playing. Um, All right, since 2010, Chris Paul. Chris Paul is not on there. Whoa. Okay. Um, one um, one player is a retired player. I'll give you. I'll, I'll let you know that anyway. Oh, that's tough. Um, retired player. Who is who is absolutely pooping? Got six more guys to get. All right, let's 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 think now. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick out west. I'm gonna go Kevin Durant. Nope, he's also just outside, just behind Buddy Hield. Oh man. Okay. Um, there's there's got to be a really weird one. There's got to be a really weird. There one. is a really, there is a, arguably a couple of really weird, weird ones, but there's also two really big ones that you have not got yet. Yeah. Um, let's Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. What are you on about? I dude? don't know. Wait, no, hold on. I'm, no, I'm, I'm that's crazy. All right. Uh, the guys who've basically played for the entirety for of the last thirteen years. Yeah. For a decade. Who's who's? Um. Let's say it's not Chris Paul. Oh, there's going to be a weird one. Brooke Lopez? No, not Brooke Lopez. I'm, I'm trying are, to guess the weird are, one. I'm trying to guess you, the weird one first. You are, the weird one is a guy that is essentially a nobody, slightly role player. He's currently with the Hawks. I actually thought he was out of the league over the last few years. He's had two spells with the Bucks and one with the Lakers. Um... Gone over the two minutes here, which you're struggling so bad. I just no, 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 I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. What about can we say uh Damian Lillard? Of course, yes. Damian Lillard's there. Number three. Um he's number three. Damian Lillard's number three, yep. Wow. Um who's been playing for ten years in the books and there's a, a legendary Eastern Conference point guard in there that's also in the list, number six. Still Hold playing on. in the game today. Uh, what about, what about Bradley Beal? No. What about, oh, 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 Kyle Lowry. Bingo. Number six, 2058. Kyle Lowry. Okay. Cause I, I was, I know I was missing someone who, who's falling off. Um, I want to say, I want to say. 
So what you got. Give me a hint. How, what, what do I got? got? What okay, do I got so far? okay, we'll go for number. We, we, you've got. What have you got? I hate when you seven? put me on the spot, man. You got Steph Curry, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Paul George, Kyle Lowry, and Buddy Heald. So you are missing number four, number seven, number eight, and number nine. Number four is a guy we just talked about a few minutes ago. Didn't I already say? Wait, did I already say Thompson? No. Okay, know? Clay Thompson. Okay, all right. Yes. That that one is obvious. Um, who just shoots a ton of threes? It's gonna be someone that. So I'm missing what numbers now? Seven, eight, and nine. Seven, eight, and number, nine. Number seven number is retired. Number eight is just a, a random guy that'd be really tough to get. And number nine is a pretty consistent performer. Never a star, but always a consistent scorer and three point shooter on on playoff teams. On playoff, okay. Is he in the Western Conference? He is. Uh, has he changed teams several times? Past five years, uh, a few. He's he's on he's on he's in the first year with a new team this year. Eric Gordon. Hmm? Eric Gordon. Yes, Eric Gordon. Number okay. nine. Number nine. Seven, so I got uh, seven and eight. You need the retired player. I'll give you a hint. He has a podcast. Who is retired as a podcast? What Isaiah Thomas? You, like, come on, man. Dude, everyone has a podcast. He works now. at ESPN. Everybody has a podcast now. Um, oh my God, JJ Redick. Bingo! Duh. That was such an easy number one. seven, one thousand eight hundred twenty-eight. And now you're just missing the one that I expected you to miss out on. Well, okay, because I was gonna say retired, and I was gonna say what Kemba Walker. He was just outside as well. He was a oh. just behind Durant. He was number. He was number eleven. Okay. Redick was your retired guy. The last one is a role guy. I, I don't think you're going to get it. He plays for the Hawks. Do you want to have a guess? Oh. Oh, 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 um, Well, I use the term loosely. He plays. He's on the Hawks roster. He's on the Hawks roster. What? No, it wouldn't be. He's on the roster? Who's on the roster? It's a, in the last 10 years, his top 10. Three, oh, Vince Carter. Does he does, is Vince Carter on the Hawks he's roster right now? <laughs> I'm like, is he still somehow like no he's not? Uh, uh bro. Uh, I'm just gonna have to give it to you. Tony Snell. Don't make it not the worst. It was Wes Matthews. Oh my god, yeah, that's 1826. Yeah, I did not know that. I thought he at home? I thought he was a free agent. I I did not think he I thought he was out of the Yeah, Wes Matthews. West yeah, that, that rounds out the list. You, you didn't do too badly. You definitely didn't get it in two minutes. But uh, I passed, but I passed. What's a passing grade? Like 60%? <laughs> I mean, you I had like I got four. six out of ten. I think you had like four after two minutes, but uh, yeah, sure. No, no. Well, I'll maybe give you the pass. You got there in the end. The, the time pressure didn't help you. That got you a bit nervous and bothered. So I'll, I'll give you the pass. I'll give you the Wait, pass. Hold on. How many, how many did I get? How many did I get out of ten within two minutes? Uh, I, I'm going to say a maximum four? of five. Five, I'll give you fifty percent. We'll call you fifty percent. Fifty percent from three. That's pretty good. I'll just say that. <laughs> that's pretty good. Not not too bad at all. But uh, yeah, you, you could have done better. I think the time the time when I told you there was a time limit, you got a bit flustered and forgot a few big guys. Okay, on a on a podcast themed disappointments. Here we go with another disappointing performance for me in uh, another section of quizzes from running. All right, cool, 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 cool. Same old, yeah. same old. But that's gonna do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for enjoying that little quiz there just to get a, get Chris a little bit rattled. 
My thanks to Chris for joining me as always. And thank you all so much for listening. Remember, we are everywhere on social media at Coast to Coast NBA. And most importantly, remember to take every shot and love every moment.